0: Chris Cozart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right.
1: Morning.
0: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parks III, better known as RP3.
2: If only the Houston Astros could throw out Justin Verlander every day, they would never lose. Definitely wouldn't lose to the Seattle Mariners. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts 3rd I'm joined inside the game studios by a joyful producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names. We got a lot to get to today. Lots to get to. We're going to be talking with Wes Reynolds from vizen the sports betting network created by brent musburger gonna get thoughts on betting lines for the nba finals which resume tonight as well a little nhl playoff action that'll be coming up at 8 30 today at 8 o'clock our friend ken trahan from crescent city sports will be joining us get his thoughts on the New Orleans Saints in their OTAs. Also Tulane hired themselves a new baseball coach. Will this be the guy that will bring them back to prominence, bring them back to being a team that was one of the best college baseball teams, not only in the state, but in the country, that'll be coming up at eight o'clock. And at seven 30, the mad dog, Mr. Hollywood Higgins will be joining us, taking time off from the movie television set. To talk the end of the LSU baseball season and where do they go from here? So we got three guests lined up for you today, all on the back end of the show. Ron Higgins, 730. Ken Drawhan, 8 o'clock, and Wes Reynolds at 830. And we're going to talk about the Houston Astros, of course. We're going to talk about Joe Madden being fired. We're going to talk about the Denver Broncos being sold for billions of dollars. Remember when I was told there was no money in NFL, that the owners were losing money during the pandemic? Uh-huh. Sure. Sure they were. I don't believe you. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open. Always looking for that game changer of the week. Has someone rose to the occasion so far this week? Eh, producer extraordinaire shaking her head. Maybe not. So you have the opportunity to throw your hat in the ring. Give us a great phone call. Game Changer of the Week. Always looking for one. Game hotline is open as always. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We will unveil our foodie poll question of the week as well. That will be coming up in about 15 minutes. But we got to start off talking about them, Houston Astros. Justin Verlander is just on a different level, right? From a different planet, possibly. Mariners took Game One in this series at Minute Maid on Monday. We talked about it on yesterday's show, where we compared it as look at the comparison. They're both five and five against each other this year, and they both have scored the same amount of runs exactly. The same amount of runs. For whatever reason, the Mariners play well against the Astros or the Astros play poorly against the Mariners. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Usually it is in these occasions. But you got to get back on track. And that's where we're having a former Cy Young award winner, a former league MVP, a World Series champion, a future Hall of Famer, who's been pitching like an absolute monster. Remember last week, he had a no-hitter going into the seventh inning of a game? He's 39 years old. He's just out there saying, hey, what's up? I'm Justin Verlander. Yeah, I'm coming off Tommy John surgery, but I'm good to go. Nothing intimidates me. And he just goes out there and makes... The Seattle Mariners lineup look absolutely silly. To be fair to the Mariners, Verlander has made a lot of different lineups look silly this year. This is not a Seattle Mariners issue. This is if you're playing in Major League Baseball issue. 4-1 victory. Verlander strikes out, wait for it, a dozen. 39 years old, coming off Tommy John surgery, And he's out there striking out 12 batters with ease, I may add. He just makes it look like it's not a big deal. Just no effort whatsoever. The only blemish for the Strohs in this game came early in the game or earliest in the game rather in the fourth inning where Verlander gave up the one run but his teammates said not a problem Justin oh you gave up the run in the top of the fourth oh you're concerned not to worry we're down one nothing we'll just go ahead and plate two runs real quick in the bottom of the frame and seize the lead and be done with it and that's all that was really needed Now, they did add an additional two runs there in the eighth inning. And then Presley came in to close the door, so to speak. But Verlander, seven innings, only gave up six hits, one turn run, struck out 12. 12. His ERA now on the season is 2.13 to be exact. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal performance. The age is what stands out, but the fact that he's coming off Tommy John and he's 39 to do what he's doing is ridiculous. Like, you don't see this. I I keep bringing it up all the time here on the show, but I'm, I'm trying to make you understand that we don't see this. I know guys bounce back from Tommy John, and it's not a career killer like it used to be. You got Tommy John surgery, your your career was over. It was done. It was a wrap. It was like back in the day in the NFL, if you ripped, you shredded your ACL, you were done. Well, technology, medical technology in particular, has gotten so advanced now that you can bounce back from surgeries. But Tommy John is still a big deal, man. And for him to pitch this way is absolutely ridiculous. And it's something special. And if you're a Houston's Astro fan, you got to just kind of watch and just be amazed and be appreciative of what you're seeing. Because this guy could have went elsewhere. Don't forget that. He came back to the team. After the Mariners scored that fielder's choice in the top of the fourth, The Strohs bounce back. Tucker hit a single to left center field that brought in Alex Bregman. Then rookie sensation Pena singles to right center. Scoring yard on Alvarez. And then Alvarez, the big fella. You know, we jokingly talked about this with James Yasko earlier in the season where we said, hey, could your Alvarez hit Fifty home runs this season. Well, uh Jordan Homered in the eighth. It was a two run blast because Michael Brantley gets on got on base like he always does, seemingly. And uh yeah. Alvarez blasted yet another home run. And when he hits his home runs, they're not little, you know, line drive home runs over the right field wall. Like he hits monster shots. I still don't understand why people pitch to him. I'm still trying to figure that out. Yet, they do. And look, Astros didn't need a ton of runs. When you have Verlander, you don't have to give him a ton of run support, right? Two, three runs usually gets the job done. Sure enough, they beat the Mariners last night four to one. That's enough. You didn't even really need the two-run blast by Alvarez late in the game in the eighth inning. That was just ended up being insurance runs, and everyone chipped in. It's one of those weird nights. Pena led them at the plate with the two hits, but everyone else just got one hit. Tucker, Alvarez, Briggs, Brantley, and Altuve. So it wasn't a monster performance at the plate for the Astros lineup. They didn't tee off on the Mariners pitching. Mariners pitching was actually pretty good. Flexen gets tagged with the loss. But he pitched six and two thirds. Scattered five hits. Only gave up the two runs. Didn't have great control. Only struck out two. But the Strohs get the job done. <clears throat> A good inning of work by Montero as the bridge between Verlander and Presley. Presley comes in, strikes out two of the three batters he faced to pick up his save. Sometimes he gets a little shaky, but most closers do. But they got a really good one to close out games for him. So Verlander, sensational. Presley, really good. Jordan Alvarez, wait for it, hits home runs. The rookie, Pena, gets a couple of hits. Well-balanced, hard-fought home victory, 4-1. to These two teams, of course, will get after it today. Rubber match time. There at Minute Ballpark. Strohs, even the little early week series, 540 will be the rubber match Which means you're only going to have about an hour of crunch time with Miguez and Mesh. Then Astros pregame will begin at 5 05. So pregame with Robert Ford and Steve Sparks will begin at 5 05. First pitch set for 5 40 from Minute Maid Ballpark Mariners Astros. And the Astros, well, they continue just to keep rolling. 36 and 20, first in the American League West. And I'm telling you, it it just looks like there's going to be a collision course here in the playoffs between the Yankees and the Strohs. Yankees got to 40 wins. They're 40 and 15. They lead the American League East by seven games. Toronto's having a good year, the Blue Jays are 33 and 22. They're seven games back of the Yankees in first place. Strohs now lead the Angels by nine and a half games. Nine and a half games. The Rangers and the Angels are exactly nine and a half games behind the Strohs now. The Angels have lost 13 straight games. With two generational players. The two best players in baseball. That's what I was told. They have the two best players in baseball. Yet, they don't have enough pitching. If you don't have the pitching, it doesn't matter. And that's been the case for the Angels the entire time Mike Trout has been in the show. Does he remind folks of the second coming of Mickey Mantle? Sure does. But that team and that roster has been absolutely on. Angels keep fading, 13 straight losses. The Mariners are only 11 games back at the Astros. I mean, depending on how things go this coming weekend, if the Angels keep fading and the Rangers, the Mariners could find themselves in second place in the AL West. And they're six games below five hundred. Astros are going to run away with this division. That's what it feels like to me. Strohs, Mariners, rubber match from Minute Maid Ballpark this afternoon, early this evening. Once again, first pitch, 540. That's 540. Pre-game will begin at 5.05. You can listen to it all right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, One oh four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We got to take a timeout. Big firing occurred yesterday in Major League Baseball. We'll talk about it. That's next.
0: Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
2: Are you ready to take that outdoor living space, that man cave area where you love to entertain during game days, and take it to the next level? Then you need to reach out to my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. They are the South's largest culture marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. Look, you already know that LMG provides show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms but they can also take that outdoor living space and man cave area to another level and help make your home become the envy of the neighborhood during game days this fall. doesn't matter if you cheer on the Cajuns, the Tigers, the Cowboys, or the Saints. They want to help transform your outdoor living space and your man cave area into something else, something better, something that's going to be amazing. Visit their website, lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and great products that they have to offer. Live inventory, guess what, is updated every single Wednesday. That's today. Hello. Go visit lmGelite.com or stop by their showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business and trust me, earn it they will. Joe Madden is no longer the old skipper of the Los Angeles Angels. The man with the unconventional approach to being a skipper is out. 13 game losing streak the Angels are on currently, right now. That surely didn't help matters. Never seemed to be all that good of a fit with the Angels. This team is now 27 and 30 on the season, nine and a half games back of the Astros, as we discussed to lead off today's show. And they've lost 13 straight. And when you have generational talent like they do, being a few games under 500 and appearing to be fading at the beginning of June is not going to be tolerated. I'm a little surprised because the Angels are known for being mediocre and being okay with being mediocre. So it's always a little surprising to me when they make a smart decision. This seems like a decision that they had to make. But they had to get something done to change it because it doesn't look like Joe has a handle on the team. Phil Nelvin Nevin rather has been named interim manager. And look, when you when management appears believes that you have lost the team, look the, the losses is one thing, but they've lost games in inexplicable fashion, like they lost on a eight eight hitting grand slam last week they're just finding ways to lose ball games. Trout is in a career slump. Like he's never been this, he's never played this poorly in his entire career. So you have Otani, you have Trout. Otani's not pitching great. Trout's in the worst slump of his career. The team's lost 13 straight games. Probably time to make a change. And Angels owner Artie Marino gave his blessing to let Joe Madden go. Remember, it was only 32 months ago in October of 2019 when they decided to bring Joe Madden back that it was celebrated. Hey, here's the guy that led Tampa Bay to the World Series. He just wasn't getting it done just not getting it done they were 27 and 17 just two weeks ago think about that for a second they were 27 and 17 two weeks ago now they're 27 and 29 woof the 12 game losing streak was the longest in first single season in franchise history and tied for the second longest since 1900 by a team that was at least 10 games over 500 entering the streak. That's according to Elias Sports Bureau. They have all the good information. Once again, the second longest losing streak for a team since 1900, especially for a team that was above 500, at least 10 games above 500 entering the streak. That's not great. And they've been bad in everything. Bad in fielding, bad at hitting, bad at pitching. All three phases of the game, the Angels have been awful. Madden, 68 years old, more than likely, he's done in his career now. He was in his third season with the organization. He spent a lot of time with the organization in the minor leagues as a player and as a coach. And he was Mike Shosa's bench coach on the 2002 World Series team. And then he had a great nine-year run with the Tampa Bay Rays where he won two Manager of the Year awards. And then in 2016, he led the Cubs to their first World Series championship in more than 100 years. But it just never, never panned out with the Angels. Just never worked. Never clicked. That small market magic that he had in Tampa, he wasn't able to bring it. Or learning how to deal with all the personalities and egos like he did in Chicago during the Cubs World Series run. Wasn't able to make any of that happen. Looked done. Now, COVID, of course, shortened the 2022, uh, 2020 season. And that was kind of a sign that things had come. Because remember that year, 16 teams made the postseason because of COVID? The Angels were not one of them. But the next year, hey, Shahan Otani. It's Otani time. Great two-way player, pitcher, hitter. Historic season. But Trout was out with injuries, Anthony Rendon was out with injuries, and they had their sixth consecutive losing season. Dominant start to this year, but they've already faded and now they're tied for second in the division and they're now below 500. While the Astros are speeding away in the AL West. So, Angels make a change. Will it matter? We'll see. Well, and once again, this is not all Joe Madden. It just isn't. This is an organization that's been on the downturn for quite a while. They do not know how to manage their talent. They do not understand how to tackle free agency properly. They give out bad deals for aging players. And they don't understand how to build a roster with pitching. And this has been going on for a decade. For a decade. So this isn't a Joe Madden issue, even though he may be washed up. This is an Angels organizational issue where they don't understand how a Major League Baseball team is ran. And I've said it before, they are going to waste Mike Trout and they're going to waste Otani. And we're going to look back and go, wow, those two guys were two of the best players of their generation. Yet they never won a playoff series. Or in Otani's case, hasn't even been to the playoffs. Angels fire Joe Madden. Phil Nevin has been named interim manager as they're now a full nine and a half games behind the Houston Astros and the AL West. And they are writing a now 13 game losing streak, their longest in franchise history. Foodie poll question of the week time. This was inspired by our guy, Steve Wiley, who joined us for an impromptu conversation last week during our Foodie Poll Question of the Week. Last week, it was about fair food because of the Cajun Heartland State Fair. This week, it's about ballpark food. What is your favorite ballpark food? When you go to the park, you taking the kiddos, you're just going with the fellas to catch some baseball. What's your go-to ballpark food? Is it a hot dog? Is it a soft pretzel? Is it peanuts? Or is it nachos? We want to hear from you. It's our foodie poll question of the week. Right now, tied for first, hot dog and peanuts at 36%. 28% for nachos. No votes yet for soft pretzels. JPK, the OD, says, hot dog. They try The tried-and-true classic, chili, cheese, and mustard. There shall be no other toppings accepted. No nachos. Nachos suck. What? I love hot dogs, but nachos do not suck. Oh, JPK, the OD. Living dangerously there, my friend. Ever seen anyone catch a foul ball with a tray of nachos in one hand? Beer? Yes. Hot dog? Yes. Nachos? No. Nachos suck. This man is doubling down on the nachos suck. Doubling down. Oh, JPK. Steve has replied with a throwing up emoji. So apparently Steve does not care for hot dogs, soft pretzels, peanuts, nachos, or going to the ballpark. I need clarification, Steve. Are hot dogs, soft pretzel, peanuts, and nachos not fancy enough for you? We know Steve likes fancy food. He likes those fancy dishes. Do we need to add caviar to this list somehow? Maybe some sushi.. No, I don't, I don't care for sushi. My wife loves it. I don't care for sushi. It's a discussion for another day. Maybe next week that can be our. <laughs> that can be our full question of uh, sushi. Come on, man. It just It's just fishing right. What are you doing? It's nothing to it. I got delicious hibachi right here. You want me to eat sushi? That ain't happening. That ain't happening. I got General South's chicken over here. I can get on the buffet. You want me to get sushi? No. 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 Got egg rolls? No. We're getting distracted. John Paul, Cajun Daddy says you can never go wrong with a bag of peanuts. There we go. Already got some early comments on the foodie poll question of the day. What is your favorite ballpark food? Hot dog, soft pretzel, peanuts, or nachos? Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter as well. We got to take a timeout. But when we return here on the RP3 and company, Denver Broncos are being sold for $4 billion. <laughs> what? What are we doing? We got we got teachers in classrooms that don't have enough school supplies, but we got people throwing down $4 billion for a sports team? Oh, what? and they're the Broncos. We got to take a timeout. We'll talk about that outlandish story next right here on the game. One oh three, seven, Lafayette, one oh four, one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the Louise. The, the, the. <laughs> I got so I got so animated and fired up about this Broncos story. I forgot how to actually put words into sentences. That's how fired up I am about this Broncos thing. You're listening, once again, to the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and... Soccer? Isn't this
1: great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go.
0: Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Uh, Trails putting on a free all-day event this Saturday at Cafe 20.3 at 1500 General Mouton. In addition to free paddling, there's also going to be a party featuring live music to help out the Mile Zero Heroes by raising awareness and funds to build a new Teat Fur Park and Boat Launch at Mile Zero on the Vermilion River. Donations and sponsorships are, of course, welcomed. Trail will match up to 20 thousand dollars in donations that's right trail is going to match up to twenty thousand dollars in donations for more information go visit www.latrail.org that's www.latrail.org foodie poll question of the week is up it's a good one What's you go to ballpark food What's your jam? When you go to the park, you take the kids to the park to go see a game, or you go with the fellas, the bros, what you getting at the concession stand? Now, look, you can go to a lot of ballparks. You can get a lot of different things. I went to a Mississippi Braves game last year over in Jackson, Mississippi, and they gave me, like, this potato extravaganza of, like, french fries and tater tots, It was all covered in like chili and cheese, and it was in a half baseball. So a bowl shaped like a baseball. So there's all different types of things that you can get at the park, okay? But you got your go-tos. Hot dogs, soft pretzels, a bag of peanuts, and nachos. That's our foodie poll question of the week. Brad says nachos with extra cheese and jalapenos and barbecue burgers. Ooh, I do like a good barbecue burger. Do you like a good barbecue burger? Thank you, Brad, for that. David Ackman says nachos with peppers. Got to get the jalapenos, right? Got to get the jalapenos. Keep voting on our foodie poll question of the week. It's our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. Let's talk about inflation, shall we? Because that's what this Denver Broncos story feels like to me. Sources say that the Denver Broncos have entered a sale agreement with the Walton Panier family ownership group. The sides announced on Tuesday. The agreement, sources say, is $4.65 billion. That's. Billion with a big old B. That, of course, would be a record price paid for a North American sports franchise. Of course, the Walton-Panier Group is headed by Walmart heir Rob Walton, his daughter, and her husband. It would also include the co-CEO of Aerial Investments as well as chair of the board of Starbucks, and a director over at JP Morgan Chase. So lots of heavy hitters there. We got the chairman of the board of Starbucks, we got a director at JP Morgan and Chase, we got a co-CEO of an investment firm, and then you got Walmart money. First of all, who knew we'd be living in a world where Wally World money would get you an NFL franchise? That's one. Two, $4.65 billion for the Broncos? For any NFL team, that seems ridiculous. I've thought this for a long time. The value of sports franchises in our country are wildly inflated. Wildly inflated. These numbers get thrown around because that's what the market warrants, right? If someone's willing to pay $4.65 billion for the Denver Broncos, then there you go. That changes the market. I get that. But billionaires and multimillionaires have been overpaying for sports franchises for quite a long time. We had a discussion in the break with our buddy Steve Wiley. You know, Steinbrenner paid, what, $10 million for the Yankees in 1973. They're worth $5 billion now. Are they really worth $5 billion? It just feels like it's made-up money to me. That, that we, we figure out ways to inflate values of sports franchises so they can be sold at record prices like this. $4.65 billion with a B. Now, don't get me wrong. They're making a lot of money at these games. All NFL franchises do. You go down to the Saints game, you're going to spend a pretty penny at the concession stands, right? Soda, beer, wine, nachos, hot dogs, hamburgers, jambalaya, whatever they're selling. You can easily, easily, just at concessions alone, drop $100, right? Not to mention tickets are going to cost you for a pair of them. A good set of tickets is going to probably cost you another 100 another 150 So you could easily drop $300 on just two of you going to a Saints game. Okay. Superdome holds what, 60,000 people? So let's do the math there. I was told there'd be no math, so I have to get my calculator out. So my apologies. So $60,000 60000 times, let's say $300. So per game, if you sell out, that's 18 That's a lot of money. That's a ton of money. So concessions alone. Now, you got to pay workers and everything else like that. Utilities and all that good jazz. But a sports franchise is really worth... billion? I just don't know, man. Now, the sale agreement is subject to review by the NFL's Finance Committee, and they must be approved by a full vote of NFL owners. 24 yes votes are needed for the sale to be approved. It's expected to take 60 to 90 days for the sale to be approved and the deal to be closed. No issues are expected as sources informed ESPN's Adam Schefter. $4.5 billion. The Walton Perrin Group was, according to multiple sources, one of four groups that had advanced to the second round of bidding this week. Those bids had been due to the trustees of the Pat Bowden Trust, the longtime owner of the Broncos who passed away. Forbes has estimated Walton's net worth, just Walton's, at 59 billion. That's a lot of great value brands being sold at the register, my friends. 59 billion. And this is the new trend. This is what things are going on. If I'm an owner of a franchise, I may be looking at cashing out. Because the Carolina Panthers had held the record for most paid for an NFL franchise when David Tepper purchased the team in 2018 for 2.3 billion. For the Panthers. Who playing a dump? The man paid $2.3 billion with a B. The most paid previously for a North American sports franchise was $2.475 billion in 2020 by Stephen Cohen when he purchased the New York Mets. A group led by Todd Boley. Who has interest in the Dodgers and the Lakers among his vast portfolio? Always love people with vast portfolios. Recently purchased Chelsea in the English Premier League, hey, soccer talk, for more than five billion. Woof. Lots of money going out there. Are are, are these franchises really worth three, four, five billion dollars? I guess. If people are willing to pay it, I guess they're worth it. But unbelievable. Denver Broncos reached sale agreement once again. $4.65 billion. Billion with a B. Got to take a timeout. When we return, we will update the poll question of the day. Wrap up our number one and get you set for our number two of RP3 and company. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros.
0: Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number Two, four, niner, five. Six, seven, I
1: can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there
0: Were you calling from a walkie talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337 706 0111. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: To put things in perspective here, how rapidly inflated values are going with sports franchises, credit our research and development department. Shout out to Steve. The Saints are currently valued at $2.48 billion. They were purchased in 1985 for $70.2 million. In the last five years, or what they call the five-year change in value, it's increased by 63%. Television money is doing all this. And we, we talked about it when we talked about these broadcast teams and how much money that these networks are spending on broadcast teams to broadcast NFL games and they're throwing around huge contracts and everything like that and you're like what is this about they're throwing away they're throwing around so much money that it's inflating the market I mean they have the money to use these networks have so much money because of ad revenue coming in advertisers are spending the money because they want to be part of the NFL broadcast that, in turn, allows the NFL to jack up the prices on how much it costs to broadcast their games. And now teams are worth far more than they probably should be. We're talking 4 or $5 billion for a sports team. What? What? In the last five years, it's gone absolutely berserko bananas, as they like to say. Is that still a term that we're using? We're still using it. We're still allowing the term that Gwen Stefani decided to put into the lexicon. Okay, just checking. Foodie poll question of the day. What is your favorite ballpark food? What's your go-to when you go to the ballpark to watch a game? Is it a hot dog? Is it a soft pretzel? Is it peanuts? Or is it nachos? And apparently... JPK, the OD's stance against nachos has inspired you to rally against him. Maybe that was his secret initiative all along. 42% of you say nachos is your go-to. 25% of people say hot dog and peanuts. 8% say soft pretzel. Hart on Twitter says, there's one clear and obvious answer. If you picked anything else besides it, well, it's nachos, best decision. How do you like my pun, RP3? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Thank you, Hart. <laughs> Steve has done the uh, follow-up that I've asked for. He had the throwing up emoji. And I wanted to know, was that because of going to the ballpark, period? Or was that because of any of the, cho- uh, the choices? And Steve has clarified. Better to eat a meal before you go to your favorite sporting event. Your wallet and your... can will appreciate it. Best I ever had was that UL spring game that served crawfish. Dumped a few on the ground when my buddy Jake Malone threw a 50-yard touchdown in an alumni game. Well, that's that's a bit of a flex by Steve, and I'm going to allow it. So Cajun 25 says nachos are the best, loaded with chili cheese and jalapenos, with a nice cold beer. Mmm. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Everything.
1: Everything. Everything going to be all right this morning.
0: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, big bald, beautiful, beautiful host, host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Ooh,
2: 703 has arrived. Let's get some dancing on. What? Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. I'm joined here in the studio by producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. Intern, Daryl will be joining us later on this morning, as will Steve Wiley. We'll have a little impromptu discussion coming up we got three great guests lined up for you. First one will be the Mad Dog, Mr. Hollywood Higgins. Ron Higgins of Tiger Details will join us half an hour from right now to put all bow on LSU baseball season. Where do they go from here? How do they improve? How do they get back to that level that LSU fans expect them to be at? That will be coming up at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, Ken Trahan from ChristmasCitySports.com and the Saints Hall of Fame will join us. Get his thoughts, his impressions from OTAs for the New Orleans Saints, and Tulane has hired themselves a new baseball skipper. Can he bring the green wave back to prominence? And then at 8.30 today, Wes Reynolds from Vizen sports betting analyst, will break down the NBA finals, all the bets that you need to know there. So that's what we got coming up here in the final two hours of RP3 and Company. Houston Astros get back in the win column last night. Justin Verlander strikes out 12 in seven innings of work. Gives up only one run on a fielder's choice, nonetheless, as the Astros beat the Mariners 4-1. to one. They didn't need a ton of hits in this ballgame, but Alvarez gave them the insurance two-run blast there in the eighth inning to continue his tear. Kid is absolutely phenomenal. still a kid. Got the big contract extension earlier this week. Half the team showed up for the press conference for that. That shows you the bond and the brotherhood that the Astros have. Altuve and others were there to support their young star, their young teammate. Pena, two hits in the ballgame. He led the Strohs with two hits. He was the only player with multiple hits. In the game, they didn't need a ton of production at the plate because you had Verlander on the bump. Two years removed, nearly two years removed, rather, from Tommy John surgery. He is playing at a ridiculous level right now. 39 years old, coming off Tommy John. Amazing. Just an amazing performance all around. And he looks like he's on the fast track to win the Cy Young. Now, whether or not he does, look, still plenty of baseball left here. But Verlander is pitching as if he is the best pitcher in baseball. Yet again. And when you have him out there, you know you have a chance to win the ballgame. Rubber match will be today. Later... Today, early evening, first pitch, 5.40. Pregame will begin at 5.05. So we'll have crunch time with Miguez and Mesh. That'll go from 4 to 5.05. And then they'll turn you over to Steve Sparks and Robert Ford with Astros pregame, which will begin at 5.05. First pitch, 5.40 from Minute Maid Ballpark there in Houston. The Strohs now have a 9.5 game lead. In the American League West over the Los Angeles Angels and the Texas Rangers, who are now tied for second. The Angels lost their 13th straight game, a franchise record, yesterday, and that was after they fired Joe Madden as their skipper. Fire the manager, didn't matter, they still lost. Joe Madden, who led the Cubs. Two World Series titles. Some would argue they won the World Series title despite his decisions in the World Series. But that's a discussion we can have another day. But Madden led those great low-budget Tampa teams to the World Series, won a World Series title with the Chicago Cubs. Never was able to make it work in Anaheim. The COVID-shortened season when they let in essentially every team in Major League Baseball into the postseason. The Angels did not. Last year, they had Otani. It didn't matter, despite his historic season in comparisons to Babe Ruth. They couldn't win. Trout was banged up and Rodone was banged up. Oh, and they don't have a pitching staff. And they started off super strong this year. And they have just cratered. And we're talking it's June the 8th. And the Angels look like they're heading towards the bottom of the division. You have one player that's compared to Babe Ruth. You have another player that's compared to Mickey Mantle. Yet, you can't win. That's not the players. That's not even really the skipper. That's poor front office management, and that's poor ownership. They've wasted Mike Trout's career. They'll do the same with Otani. They caught lightning in a bottle back in 2002, 2003, when they won the World Series. They've never been able to replicate that. And they've spent money, and they've given out big contracts, bad contracts, Torrey Hunter, Albert Pujols. You can go on and on. And their farm system, obviously, is good enough because they brought up Mike Trout, and they brought up Otani. But they are awful. They're an awful-run organization. Joe Madden out. Doesn't even get through his third year. He's fired as the Angels continue their free fall in the standings. NBA playoffs, NBA finals in particular, will tip back off tonight. First two games. What do you make of it? Uh, like it, this is a trend that we've had during these NBA playoffs where we've had series filled with games that are decided by double-digit scores. It hasn't been the most competitive or compelling NBA playoffs this year. I think we can all agree to that. Is there a reason why that's happening? And how does that impact how you bet on it? I'm going to ask that question when Wes Reynolds joins us from VEASAN later on today because it's wildly unpredictable. First two games are in the books. The series is tied one-one. Steph Curry is obviously setting the tone for Golden State. Clay is still not right. He's not Clay is not the player he was before the injury, especially on defense. You can tell. That's a nice little mix, mix match there, mismatch rather for Boston, especially with not Jason Tatum, but but Jalen. That's a good mix uh, mismatch for them. But what's going to happen here? Game three is tonight in the NBA Finals. Who's going to take control of this series? Did Golden State wake up after losing game one? After they bounce back? Or will Boston have a ton of energy playing at home? And here's the other thing about this. We still haven't had a great game really in these playoffs. A vintage, just awesome performance by Jason Tatum. Still haven't really had that. Or, or is he due? He, he's definitely due. Will it happen in the finals against the Warriors? We'll find out. So, NBA Finals, Houston Astros, Joe Madden gets the axe, and then the Denver Broncos are reportedly being sold to a group led by the Walmart heir. For four point six five billion dollars, it's it's like Scrooge McDuck money. It's so much money I can't imagine. I just can't imagine. Like I'm, I struggle to imagine someone sitting down at a table, and going, "Okay." Like I get anxiety about buying a car, which is a big purchase for yours truly. We recently had to buy one. It's a stressful situation, and I don't like giving them my money. I can't imagine sitting at a table and going, okay, let's sign the paperwork. Yes, we are going to buy your team for $4.65 billion. Like, what? But I guess if you're worth, what, like $60 billion, I guess it doesn't matter. Four and a half billion dollars doesn't matter to you. Apparently, I've been told, I heard reports that the the Walmart Air sold some acreage in Aspen to kind of get it over the top. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Just what? These franchises, I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. In reality, these franchises are not worth $4.5 billion. There's not. You've seen value for sports franchises, in particular North American sports franchises, accelerate in the last five years by like 50, 60, 70%. There's no way they're worth that much. I get it. There's such an influx of TV money where these broadcast companies are spending billions of dollars. To have the rights to broadcast games. And heck, if in the NFL, they have multiple deals, right? You can watch games on CBS, NBC, ESPN, Amazon Prime now this coming year, NFL Network. Now, NFL owns NFL Network, but you get my point. You have four different television companies, television entities coughing up billions of dollars. In contract money just to have the rights to broadcast games. So I get where the money's coming from. I understand that. I'm not the village idiot, so to speak. I understand why this is happening, because the television money that's coming in for the broadcasting rights is fueling the growth of the values of these franchises. But if you're like me, and you spend any time in college stadiums or NFL stadiums covering events, I can guarantee you a lot of these owners aren't putting money back into their venues. These teams may be valued $4.5 billion, but I can guarantee you they're not playing in venues that are that way. And here's the great thing about this. Here's the thing that I love more than anything. Is that they have convinced us, and I say us, the sports fans that live here in these states the states that make up the United States of America. These owners, credit to them the ultimate hustle job. They're buying franchises or selling franchises for billions of dollars, right? Panthers were sold a couple years ago for more than $2 billion. We're talking the Carolina Panthers. Billions of dollars. And these billionaires are buying these franchises and they're worth billions of dollars, right? Yet, they get the taxpayers to foot the bill for building stadiums. <laughs> Isn't that just the stupidest thing you've ever heard? And yet, we all do it. Every state across the board in this great union of ours just says, okay. We won't spend money on raising teacher salaries or paying for school repairs, but man, if we can make a repair to the Superdome, sign us up. We'll give us our, we'll give you our money all day long. Think about that. These teams are owned by billionaires, and they get us, the taxpayer, Joe Schmo, working a nine-to-five job, listening to the big, bald, and beautiful one talk sports every morning on the drive to work, they get you to foot the bill for their stadium. So they don't even have to pay all they need to pay for their stadium.
1: I mean, just think
2: about that. And they're getting all this money. They don't even have to invest into their teams. Whether that's Major League Baseball or the NBA or the NFL, you can own a team and really not invest money into it. And just let it be mediocre because there's enough money coming in that you don't have to do anything else. Oh, and by the way, you'll get your local taxpayers, your local residents to foot the bill on paying for the stadium, one, and they'll foot the bill for all those concession prices that you gauge, that you shoot up high in the air, and you can charge as much as you want for tickets because we'll buy them. So the reason. The other part of that, the reason why these franchises are worth billions of dollars, yes, television revenue is a big part of it, but it's also because of us. Because we go and buy their jerseys. Because we'll pay $300 to go watch a game we can watch on television. We'll go do that in person. We'll drop 50 to $75, $100 on the concession stands. So, oh, and we'll pay extra in taxes. To help build properties, to build new stadiums, or to pay for renovations for stadiums. Yay! I mean, the least the owners could do is invite the fans up for, like, you know, a game to, like, one of the big box suites, right? Have us come hang out there, get to sample some of the buffet food. Just saying. It's the least they could do. Speaking of concessions, poll question of the day. It's the foodie poll question of the week. We asked you, what's your go-to? What's the go-to, what's your go-to jam, so to speak, when you go to the ballpark? What do you need? What's the item that you make sure you scratch together enough money to go get to enjoy the game is it a hot dog is it a soft pretzel is it peanuts or is it nachos and 38 percent of you are going with nachos 24 percent a piece say hot dog or peanuts and 14 percent say the soft pretzel Darren number one raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company he still holds that title I have yet to take it away from him any man that drives multiple states to go see the Cajuns play boom number one raging Cajun fan Darren says, I have kids, so the rule is eat first. But I hear, Dad, can can I get a candy all game long in my ear? I <laughs> made a mistake and didn't eat last year at the UL versus Texas game and spent like $150 on food. My personal favorite, though, is the hamburger to answer the question. Yeah, yeah. See, if you got the little ones, the what you have to do, rule of thumb, eat before you go to the game. Have a small meal, right? Grab some fast food. Let the kids have the happy meal, if you will. Put food in their belly. That way they're not going crazy during the game because they're going to ask for everything. Cotton candy comes by. Go oh, cotton candy, candy. Want a hot dog? Want nachos? Yeah, they're going to want it all. Got to put some food in their belly beforehand. That way it's a little bit cheaper on you. Douglas, says, eat before the game, then pound down multiple beers. I respect that. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and the Twitter. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. Uh, there was Little Vayment.
2: There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo.
0: Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 1041, Lake Charles, Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Oh, if you want to see the Houston Astros in person, then you need to listen up. Our latest Astros Weekend Getaway expires today. That's right, today. 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets to see the Astros take on the White Sox on Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse at 103.7thegame.com or 1041 thegamecom to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. That's right. Four tickets, White Sox-Strohs on the 18th, a tour of the ballpark, and, of course, hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astro weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Lay Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Astros won last night. Verlander was tremendous, as always. Guy has been tremendous all season long. Unbelievable. Let's head out to the hotline. Hopefully this gentleman will be tremendous with his phone call. Martin, good morning. How are you?
1: I'm doing good all my phone calls are always tremendous what you talking about rp3
2: <laughs> i love the confidence i love the confidence and the swagger my friend what you got what's on your mind this this morning so
1: so i heard you, you talking about the broncos sold out to the to the walmart group and uh if anybody knows about you know teams making money off of you know billion dollar people's Taxpayers pay is, is, is me being a Cowboys fan. I'm just waiting for Jerry Jones to to sound a team to host this that because all he keeps putting on the field are a bunch of Twinkies each and every year that can't win a playoff game to save their darn life. You know, I mean, I wish he'd put a decent team up there on the field. That way I ain't got to keep watching old NFL uh, 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 Super Bowl highlights on VHS because, man, I don't know how much longer my... my my VCR can last but I mean yeah I mean yeah they're spending all this money you know on stadiums and all this kind of stuff and it's kind of getting ridiculous giving all these big contracts that aren't panning out and everything I, I just gotta say man I 100% agree with you man
2: it's just I appreciate the phone call Martin thank you so much but have a great day
1: yes sir have a good one It it, it
2: just seems to be a little excessive right Look, I'm all about folks making money. And these billionaires are billionaires not because they want to help folks out, right? So they continue to be billionaires because they find ways to make money. So they get all this additional revenue from the NFL because of TV contracts. They get the taxpayers to foot the bill for stadiums. They get their fans to foot the bill for jerseys and tickets and concessions. That's how they're billionaires, right? Now, some of them may give back to the community and do like a food drive or donate money or whatever it might be. That, that's all great and all, but it just seems to be, we're in this weird spot where it just seems to be wildly kind of excessive. I mean, we're having an NFL franchise sold, sell for $4.65 billion. I don't know, man. Just just seems a little off. And I do feel this way as well. And this, this goes in part of it. The major sports leagues, in particular in our country, because they're ran the way they're ran and because they're getting the tax breaks and because they're getting taxpayers a foot the bill for their stadiums and they're remaining to be billionaires and their values are being inflated year after year. Doesn't it feel like you're getting priced out to go and support your team? we're, We're getting to the point, and we may have already passed the point, where you can't afford to take your kids. You can't afford to go to games anymore. That's what it feels like. It's expensive. Like, it's really, really expensive. It's not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. And a lot of the blue-collar folks that make up a good portion of fan bases, it's gotten to the point where they can't afford to go cheer on their own team. Now, there's other people there to be able to put butts in the stands. And I get that. But doesn't it feel that way? Doesn't it feel that way like you're getting... There's, there's no longer a place for blue-collar, family guy to be able to come and take his kids to the ballpark? Because it sure does feel that way to me. And I only got one kiddo. But it sure does feel that way to me. Where it's like, yeah, I'd love to go. Me and my wife used to go to Saints games every year. We haven't been able to go the last couple years. It's... Gas prices are really high. Do, Do you think... NFL teams or Major League Baseball teams are going to reduce their ticket prices to to help you out with that? The answer you're looking for is no. Not going to happen. I don't know. That's just how I personally feel. It just feels that way to me that attending sporting events in person has gotten to the point where it's... You're pricing a lot of folks out of it now. And we're getting to a point where only kind of wealthy people are going to be able to afford to go to sporting events. And as long as the owners make their money, I guess that's all that matters. But I don't know. I love going to sporting events in person. Love being in the stands. I don't love spending my paycheck to make it happen. And it used to not be that way. We got to take a time out. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Ron Higgins will join us, the Mad Dog, putting his budding acting career on hold to join us to talk about LSU baseball. Where do they go from here after their season comes to an end in Hattiesburg at the NCAA Regional? We'll talk about that and more coming up next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 104 One Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the Mad Dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company.
2: Hollywood Higgins has decided to take a few days off from the film set to spend it with us And I feel privileged to be talking to him once again. Good morning, my friend. How are you today?
4: I'm great. How are you?
2: I'm doing good, bud. Do you think we can keep this name stick? I know you're the Mad Dog, and I know that's the preferred moniker nickname that has been bestowed on you all these years, and we lovingly call you that. Can we make Hollywood Higgins a thing, yes or no? Uh,
4: Yeah, because I'm going to keep doing this. So, yeah. This this week... uh, Let's see this week I was a a, uh, a guest at a high society cocktail party. No, that was last week. This, this week I was a, I was at a, a, a funeral for witches. And, <laughs> and and yesterday I was a pedestrian uh outside uh <laughs> I guess a, a post-funeral gathering for witches. So anyway. So
2: okay, so you you're getting you you're doing all your extra stuff. Have you set a line yet? Have you earned your SAG card, my friend?
4: No, I have not, you know, and if If I if I want to do that, I have to pay three thousand dollars for a SAG card. What? That's how much it costs. Yes.
2: I'm not I'm not for sure what's more outlandish: the cost of a SAG card or the fact that the Denver Broncos are being sold for four point six five billion dollars because sports teams' worth are not inflated at all.
4: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I I can get by without speaking. I can you know I can pantomime. You know, I just yeah three thousand
0: dollars.
2: No. I, I can't I, I can't wait to watch the show because I'm going to be watching for you the entire time. All right, bud. So let's get right to it. You, you said, look, this is not going to be an easy regional for LSU to win. You and I discussed this last week because Southern Miss had some quality pitching. And sure enough, the team that had the better pitching had more depth with their pitching staff ended up winning the regional. What was your biggest takeaway from the Hattiesburg Regional?
4: Pitching, you know, it caught up with them finally. I mean, I mean, it catches up in regionals if you don't get quality starts from your starters. Uh, you're going to get, you know, it'll catch up with you. The thing is, you know, going into the last game on uh, on Monday, LSU had used seven pitchers in two games, so the miss had used the same amount in three games. I mean, the game they won on on Sunday to get to the LSU game to. to uh, the consolation came to play LSU. I mean, the, the losers bracket, brackets have a shot at LSU. They're getting, it was a 10 inning, inning game. Their starter went nine innings, and, and that was a difference. I mean, the, they had simply had fresher arms and better arms, they had better arms to start with. And uh, LSU was trying to piecemeal stuff together, uh, as, as they have all year. And the sooner or that the stuff if you don't have a good start in pitching, it runs out on you. And, and Southern Miss had good starting pitching. They had good relievers. They had better relievers than LSU did to perform better. Uh, and it simply caught up with them. It didn't matter how good LSU's bats are. Uh, I mean, they were okay. They were great, but they were facing really good pitching. And so it's one of those things where, I mean, after it was over and um, LSU lost, Jay Johnson said, I mean, the obvious, we, we've got to go get you know, better pitching. And, and they do. They have they have a ton of good pitching coming in and they were in their recruiting class. And, and I I think most of it will will stick. They won't, they won't sound the major leagues. Some might, some might, they have like 14 people in their recruiting class. And if they get half of them in school, uh, it'll be a really great recruiting class anyway. Uh, They're number one rank right now. And then you get half of them in school, they may be number one or top five anyway. So he's had a good recruiting year. He knows what he needs to get. Uh, but it was obvious. I mean, we, we saw it from beginning to the end, the two things beginning to end all year were pitching and fielding. Uh, fielding didn't bite up as bad uh, in the regional. Well, people people thinking that, that the LSU got a lot better in fielding in the last couple of weeks. Let's let's go back and review this. The Vandy series and the Hattiesburg series were on artificial turf. Out yeah, outfield, I mean, I mean infield, all the infield dirt. Uh, the, the fake dirt, the fake grass, all that, you know, it's like, you know, hitting on your carpet, in your living room, you're going to get a true bounce. And so, yeah, they were great. LSU just has problems when they're feeling on an actual field, like grass. Uh, so they got to get better there. I mean, they, they, like in that 96.2%, uh, percent, feeling percentage of 96.2 is awful. Uh, but, uh, the hitting, the hitting was real, they improved this year. Now they have uh, they have like six, probably had like six of nine guys back who started uh, the last game of the day. So yeah, I, I would think uh, the, the I guess people the general feeling issue fans was uh, that Jay Johnson squeezed everything he could out of this team, considering the pitching just wasn't there and never really got any better.
2: Hilliard is gone now, right? So is Devin Fondo and they were your two best pitchers on staff from start to finish. And Fondo didn't even have a great year, and that says Uh, everything that you need to know about this pitching staff. So who's going to step up? Who's going to be the guys moving forward that they can count on? Is it going to be all new players, transfer portal guys, recruits? What's it going to be for the pitching?
4: All all new players. All new players. I I didn't see anybody on this staff that I was overly overly impressed with. I mean, there wasn't anybody on this year's team – I mean, Rosamond at times and then, then he, you know, he, you know, last game, he didn't have anything, uh, last couple of, couple of times, uh, I think it's be all new people. I think it'd be see all new staff. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, honestly, some guys uh, on the staff really, I may not be back, They then, you know, as far as they might tell me, we don't want you back. Uh, you know, uh, you know the, the guy who was their starting pitcher at opening night was horrendous the rest of the year. Blake Money, I mean, he gave up 18, 19 home runs of the season. Probably led the SEC. In that led the nation, maybe. Uh, so uh, I think it'd be all new staff. You know, all new staff of people. But you, you have, you have two first-round draft choices coming back: Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan. And Trey Morgan had a hell of a year, despite having a, a, a a knee injury and a, a, a leg brace that he couldn't really run like he wanted to, but he had a hell of a year But they guess they, they, they got to just get better. They've got to get better at pitching and they've got to get better uh, at the infield. I mean, uh, 32 of their errors this year were committed by their shortstop and second baseman, 18 by Jordan Thompson and 14 by Tate Doty. I don't think Doty be back. Uh, I think, I think he's draftable. He's and he had a good year hitting the ball. So, uh, they're, they everybody knows that they're pitching and they're feeling you have to get better, but they, 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 they feel good. They, they got honestly. I mean, they. I've never seen a team with having no starting pitching win forty games. That's just hard, and then get to uh, the precipice of of, of, of really uh, going to a host of a super regional, which by the way is going to be a hell of a super regional. Ole Miss and, <laughs> Ole Miss and Southern Miss. That's like a uh in state civil war uh uh and all the Mississippi State fans of course are pulling for Southern Miss of
2: course of course Yeah, yeah so obviously they're gonna have to rehaul the pitching staff how do you fix defense though I mean pitching you just go get better pitchers right you go sign them you have to develop them that's a big part of it Ron but defense is I know they practice I know they worked on getting better defensively how do you fix poor defense
4: I don't know unless you unless you find people who are, you know, you don't convert to like shortstop, but from another position, if you go find yourself who's a somebody who's a true shortstop in high school, I mean, and, and you can make them a true shortstop in college. I think a lot of times, I mean, I don't know in the past, uh, you know, Maneri converted other other positions into into infield positions, and I don't think that works so well, uh, but they they've got to do got to do better i mean they, they they've got to do better at their their positions i mean they've got to get i mean the uh, the only infielder really you know worth a damn as we know is trey morgan and and god knows games yellow lsu had lost without trey morgan at, at first base you know plucking off it. bad throw after bad throw i mean i've just never seen a team that could not make a simple throw from in, in, in to first base, from in, almost anywhere, consistently, uh, it was just mind-boggling, and it, it hurt their pitching too. I mean, I mean, there were a lot of times where pitchers weren't very good, but there were a lot of times where pitchers were good enough to win, and they get two outs in an inning, and then some guy would you know would open a door with a, uh, a simple ground ball that he would like muff or throw short or over uh, you know uh, Trey Morgan's head, and and that would turn the inning. So. They've got to clean up the fundamental stuff, fielding, and they've got to get better pitching. Otherwise, their hitting was much better this year. I think they batted 287 for the year. Their hitting was it was good. It could be explosive at times. Uh, uh, they didn't care much about uh, sacrifice, bunny, and moving people around. I mean, they, they were they were a team that came out. And, I mean, they, they were going to get their swings. Uh, I think that's probably that's the way kind of Jay Johnson coaches. uh they don't they don't bunt very much. That, that's okay. Everybody has their own style of doing stuff, but they got to get I mean And they you know pitching. I mean, everybody it was obvious. And, and and like I said, when it gets in the regional, it really comes into fruition when you have to play. But see, the LSU even got a break by winning two games. They, they get out. They get, They could have won the three in the three games when they could not get it done.
2: What'd you make of Jay Johnson's first year as the skipper of the Tigers?
4: I thought he, he did a good job. I, I did, all, all things considered. I mean, I mean, I noticed pitching was bad. Uh, I wasn't a fan of him yanking people. I mean, I think he yanked one guy after one pitch this year. I forgot who it was. One pitch. Got through one pitch. You're gone. Look at me come out. Uh, I don't know how you build confidence in those situations. I don't know how pitchers build confidence if you're, if you're, if you're being yanked after one batter, I know Jay's a big situational guy, analytics, all this. I know there's analytics. I, I get that. And, and there's stats and you read that and this guy against this guy left-handed is batting so-and-so. Sometimes you just got to be a human and put that crap aside and think, can I, my guy get this guy out? Does he have the heart to get this guy out? Is he a competitor? I mean, is his arm that tired? And so looking at like, okay. Uh, this guy's bad. 138. Uh, no, let's go get this guy. He said, you know, and so I mean, if you're a pitcher and constantly get yanked after a batter or pitching an inning or whatever, and even if you had a good inning, how does that build confidence in your staff? And and I, I, I and I understand the staff wasn't very good, but I wonder if the staff could have been a little bit better had he had a longer leash on some of these guys a lot of times instead of. Yanking them. I mean, I mean, if you're a pitcher going out there and you want to be competitive, and 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 how do you put it out of your mind that you know, if I if I get two guys out and I'll walk a guy, is he going to yank me? I, you know, they probably average like probably five at, at least five pitchers per game this year all year, at least five, five to six maybe. Yeah, there were a lot of times we used six and seven. And I understand situations, but I I just – if I'm a pitcher, uh, I'm going to have to understand that going to the year that this is how this guy works.
2: We're talking Ron Higgins, better known as the Mad Dog, new moniker Hollywood Higgins. He will uh, answer to both. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, do you expect Jay Johnson's approach this offseason to be heavy in the transfer portal or just with high school recruits and JUCO guys?
4: I think, I think both. I mean, I think he's, you know, the major league draft. I mean, they'll, they'll know a lot after that. I mean, I, I'm sure he's already looking for experience in some positions. I'm sure he's looking for experience. <laughs> a shortstop. that can actually feel, uh, <laughs> I mean, that would help. Uh, and, and, and that said, he, 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 does like Jordan Thompson. He calls him a competitor and all that stuff, but still, I mean, when you, you, you can't make simple throws. You have problems. Uh, and it's been a problem, you know. You uh, got to find a third baseman because Jacob Berry is going to. We'll, we'll go to the draft he will be a top ten pick. Uh, I think a lot, the the major league drafts are going to tell you a lot, uh, and then 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 who's available and you go get guys. So I'm sure he'll he'll go get both. I'm sure he will. I'm I'm pretty positive.
2: All right, Bud, we'll wrap it up with this. Give me your big takeaways from the conversations that were had at the SEC meetings over in Destin. I know you covered them for years. I know you were paying attention to them. Anything really stood out to you about what was bantered about and something that's not Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban beef related?
4: Well, first of all, the Jimbo Nick stuff that turned out like I thought it would because pretty much the, the commissioner said, y'all shut the hell up. I mean, you just shut up.
2: Yes, Sankey stepped in and said, "Okay, children."
4: It's happened before. <laughs> I
1: mean,
4: Mike Slide did that with Kiffin when he first came to the league and had to go on the coaches' meeting in Destin and said, "Okay, uh, this everybody just shut the hell up. Let's get on one page and shut the hell up." So that's what happened here. And so, subsequently, there wasn't that much news. I, I think they'll eventually work for a, a nine-game schedule. I do. Uh, I think they'll. And I think LSU wants a nine-game schedule. The SEC schedule. I think they'll, they'll probably eventually work toward three permanent and then six, uh, you know, six uh, not permanent rotating whatever. So that's what they'll get to. Uh, especially when when Texas and Oklahoma come in the league in, in a couple of years. So, uh, but it went like when I thought. I mean, there was a bunch of stuff on the table, dude, but they did not know how to solve it. They don't know how to solve nil. They have no idea. They're gonna kick it around, you know, and and. You know but in the meantime I mean, everybody's just you know saying y'all just shut up about you know nil okay all right be quiet and that's kind of you know it went in as a, a, a potentially explosive meeting but it turned out exactly how i thought because i've seen this before i've seen this movie before when there's a really controversial issue and somebody's chirping another coach and that's not what the the SEC is about that's what that's not what the commissioner wants. He wants kumbaya. He wants everybody on the same page, even though you're competitors and you try like hell to beat each other and you, you you snipe at each other somewhat. Let's do it in private, you know, and and uh and it turned out like I thought it would.
2: Bud, always appreciate your time. Thank you so much for it. Enjoy the rest of your week, brother. And we'll talk to you next week.
4: I will, but I'm gonna be on a cruise next week. I'm taking a, a break from the Hollywood set. You know, it's just life. This has been man
2: wrong. lives the best version. I hope when I'm you're what 65, Ron, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope when I'm 65 years old, my life encompasses covering sports, being on a film set, a television set, and being on cruise ships like once a month. That's what I'm hoping. You're living. You're you're living the life that I hope one day I get to have.
4: Well, I'm trying to put it down for you, Ray Raymond, so you can see the example. And uh, <laughs> when you get there, you'll in, you'll enjoy it. You know, uh, I think this time next week, I'll probably be in Key West probably or going that direction. So,
2: This uh, man, this man. Brother, enjoy your cruise, bud. We'll talk to you when you get back from your, from your trip.
4: All right, man, take care. I'll see you.
2: That's the Mad Dog. The Mad Dog lives the best version of his life. He's put in the work. He gets to cover sports for a living, kind of retired, spends his time as extra on film and television sets, and then spends the rest of his time on cruise ships with his wife. That's the goal, man. 65, got to That's going to be the template. The template, I say. We got to take a timeout. We ran long there with the Mad Dog. It happens. We'll wrap up hour number two. That's coming up right here. On the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <music> poll question of the day is the foodie poll question of the week. What is your favorite, favorite ballpark food? When you go to check out the games. Right now, leading the vote, 38% of you say hot dog. That's the correct answer. 27% say nachos. 25% say peanuts. 10% say a soft pretzel. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Hart has chimed in on what we talked about. Down the rabbit hole we go. Last updated prices of an order of nachos at the Superdome I found was $9.50. If they sold just that to sold out crowd with no drinks or anything else, sales would be $703,000. There you go. Always eat before games. <laughs> Always eat before games. Mr. Cajun says, "Man, you got to sneak that food in your wife's purse like you at the movie theater." Have I done that before? No comment. <laughs> I got to take a timeout. That's going to wrap up hour number two. Hour number three coming up. We'll kick it off with Ken Trahan of ChristmasCitySports.com and the Saints Hall of Fame. That's next right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Everything, everything, going
1: to be all right this morning.
0: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: Our number three has arrived on this hump day edition of RP3 and Company. Man, we've had some fun so far, haven't we? We've covered a lot of ground. Houston Astros get back in the win column last night as Justin Verlander strikes out a dozen Seattle Mariners in a 4-1 victory. Jordan Alvarez adds a two-run blast in the eighth inning for some insurance. As the Astros continue to dominate the American League West, they now hold a a 9.5-game lead in that division. The Angels, well... Remember all those think pieces everyone wrote about them? This was their year. They're great. They have two generational talents. They're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, they just fired their manager because they've lost 13 straight games. They're below 500. Otani's not pitching well. They don't have a pitching staff. And Mike Trout's in the worst slump of his career. And Joe Madden just got the uh, pink slip. So things are going well in their Anaheim. Maybe you shouldn't call yourself Los Angeles when you're really Anaheim. Hmm? Maybe. Just saying. Just throwing it out there. We also touched on LSU baseball. Where do they go from here? What's that offseason going to look like? We did that with the mad dog Ron Higgins, who joined us last hour. This hour, we're going to talk a little bit more about college baseball and the NFL with our next guest. He is the man behind christencitysports.com. He's also the man that runs the Saints Hall of Fame. He's our good friend, the one and only, Mr. Ken Trahan. Ken, good morning to you, brother. How are you, bud?
5: Hey, doing fine, right? Thanks for having me.
2: All right. Uh, first question, and it's a non-Saints-related question, so I um, hate to put you on the spot. Uh, it amazes me, Ken, that I'm seeing an NFL franchise being sold for $4.65 billion. I understand TV has inflated values of sports franchises exponentially, especially in the last five to seven years. But did you ever think you'd see a day where an NFL team was being sold for $4.5
5: billion? Well, the longer we live, the longer we find out that the things that we thought were normal are not. So that goes without saying that, no, I wouldn't have envisioned this 10, even 15 years ago, but certainly now given the landscape and the way the NFL is immensely popular in terms of of product, in terms of buying, regardless of pandemics and social issues and everything else, it's obviously not a surprise now, but as I said before, it would have been previously. So look, these values continue to rise exponentially. I don't know what the ceiling is. I really don't.
2: My other question to you would be this, Ken, As just a fan of going to sporting events, and I have a family, it's becoming more and more expensive for me to take my family to a a game. It it just is. Are are we getting to a point where, because there's so much money being made here and there's so many big contracts, I know there's no problems with sellouts. I get that. But are, are we phasing out? The blue-collar folks, are we phasing out the, the middle class here to be able to attend games in person and just forcing them to watch it on television?
5: Yeah, I think it's a very good question. Look, I have a huge aficionado of Major League Baseball, and I made it a life's ambition when I was a young person to make as many Major League ballparks as I could. And that number grew to 29 last week when I was in Arlington to go to Globe Life Field for the first time. Uh, to see the Rangers play the Rays. So and so I go to Major League Baseball ballparks, right? And, you know, the tickets are, if you buy a decent ticket, it's going to cost you 30 to $40. You buy a good ticket, it's going to cost you 50 or more. If you go buy a, a drink, just as an example, I bought a drink in a souvenir cup. I like to collect souvenir items when I go to these ballparks. Well Same The here. souvenir cup was, yeah. was a $9 item right? So just to have a soft drink or whatever you're going to have. So then you want to get something to eat. In this case, I got chicken wings without naming the particular entity. Uh, it was a $16 piece with French fries. That's just one person. And of course I got my wife with me, so you can just figure on the rest and you know, I'm your, your basic, uh, you know, middle of the road, uh, middle-class guy at best and all that kind of stuff. So, so, yes, I think it's extremely, and that's League baseball, which is cheaper by and large from a ticket perspective than NFL. So, yeah, I think that there's legitimate concerns there about the opportunity for people. Now at Saints games, on the top of the building, you can still get yourself a ticket at 25 or $30. So there's that. Now what you do with concessions, well, that's another story.
2: <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right, brother, let's switch over and focus just on the Saints for a little while here. Look, I know OTAs are not a big deal, right? They're voluntary workouts. You're not going through any real schemes. You're not going to learn anything about the team. What I found surprising and what stood out to me is that how many of the new faces and how many of the veterans we actually saw show up at OTAs and work out. I think that's a great sign for new head coach Dennis Allen. What about you?
5: I think it's one of the reasons he was hired. So you're talking about continuity and stability for an organization, which has had nothing but that for an extended period of time. And as I said at the time, he was absolutely the right hire because of the fact that it wasn't broken. This was a team that won nine games last year, being last in the league in passing and you know, having 58 starters and four quarterbacks and four kickers and everything else under the sun and still won nine games. So, It wasn't broken. There was no need to fix it. You have a guy that's been a head coach previously who learned from that experience and has the respect of the players. And he's been here for an elongated period of time over two stints. So it made sense for them to do what they did with Dennis Allen. I think the fact that players have shown up by and large is a reflection of the respect that they have for coach Allen. And also the the fact that they're excited about the possibilities. I think many of these guys are, have an attitude. They think that they're being undervalued. You know, Las Vegas has had them in eight to eight and a half wins. It's not even a winning record. And to me, look, I'm not a betting man, but were I a betting man, I'd take that over in a second because I'm looking at this roster. Does it have flaws? Absolutely. Uh, Is it in a division that it can thrive in? Absolutely. Do you really think that Atlanta or Carolina are as good as the Saints? No. No. And do you You really think Tampa Bay is as good as it was last year? Nope. No way. So, at worst, you win four games in the division, you know, and I think you win five. If you go five and one, all you have to do is go five and six or six and five. Otherwise, you've got 10 or 11 wins. So, I just do the math, and it's all about just like counting outs in baseball. You're counting potential wins in football. So, I think just based on the division and on the conference itself, they're in pretty good shape. And the Rams are the clear favorite. 49ers are a good team, but they're going to give the ball to Trey Lance, who hasn't proven anything. And their best player, Debo Samuel, was very unhappy. So then you look at the Packers; they lost Devontae Adams, and Aaron Rodgers is a year older. Then you look at whoever else you think is any good. Philadelphia, yeah, they're they're a nice team, but they're nothing special. Dallas has talent, but we all know until they prove it, it doesn't really matter because they haven't proven it. And they lost offensive linemen. How good is the defense, really? So we'll see. Bottom line is they're in the right conference. I think they have the right coach. And I think the players understand that there's an opportunity here.
2: We're talking with Ken Trahan. He's the man behind com. He's also the man that runs the Saints Hall of Fame. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Were you surprised at all by comments that were made during OTAs in particular by those of like Jarvis Landry that mentioned Jameis Winston as being a big contributing factor for coming to New Orleans?
5: No, not at all. Look, uh, Jameis Winston was incredibly well-received here when he first got here. Uh, He's been a model citizen. He's been unbelievably positive. He has a perpetual smile. I think he's a classic example of a guy that's matured. He's grown up personally, and he's grown up professionally. We can all detail the Uh, the problems he's had in the past, and he had a whole bunch of them. And some people have said, well, it's hypocritical to be judging Deshaun Watson based on his issues, and to not point at Jameis Winston. And is there some some comparison to be made there? Probably so. But again, uh, in one case, it's still pending. In the other case, whatever has been resolved has been resolved, and he's moved on. So I think you have to look at it from that perspective. But from the perspective of playing, when he did play, Jameis did a solid job. Wasn't special. He wasn't spectacular. He was solid. What he was asked to do was to manage the game, and he did. And they were 4-2. and two, And then they were in the midst of a fifth win when he got hurt in the first half against Tampa Bay. So it was going in solid fashion. The big questions about Jameis Winston linger, and I think that's why Las Vegas has the Saints where they're at. Las Vegas is not sold on Jameis Winston, and Las Vegas has – Concerns about no Sean Payton being here because he, he's the elephant in the room, obviously. So where Winston's concerned, the accuracy I don't think is ever going to be there. I think you have too large of a sample size to, to, to think otherwise, at least in from what I'm looking at. From the standpoint of play, I think he can be a better player. I think we saw flashes of that. And by the way, he was doing it with a, a very poor wide-receiving core last year. I mean, if I dug up some of the names that caught passes from him last year, you'd, you'd understand that, but you already know some of those names. And very forgettable guys that aren't even here anymore. And, and in one or two cases, they're back. Uh, and in one case, Marcus Callaway, he's a, he's a decent to solid player. So, look, I think Jameis Winston could be a nice player. I don't think he'll ever be a superstar, but I think he can be a nice player. But I do know this, his teammates really like him, respect him, and the Saints can win with him. There's no doubt in my mind.
2: Ken, in your opinion, did the Saints dodge a bullet by not getting Deshaun Watson?
5: Well, I think at this point you'd have to say yes. Again, it hasn't played itself out. And I am obviously very clearly one of those people that that believes in innocent until proven guilty. And I, I don't like to jump the gun. I just don't. I don't think it's fair. It's probably happened to you in your life. I know it's happened to me.
2: Oh, absolutely. And
5: when you're on that end of it, it's like, wait a minute. You know, excuse me, hold on a second. I didn't do any of this. And until we know, we don't know. And therefore, I'm not in a position to pass judgment. But based on the optics and based on others still coming forward, certainly it appears that way. Because at worst, he's going to have all kinds of, of lawsuits that he may have to settle and pay. And the, the crowd reaction is going to be awful. You know, and at best, this thing's going to linger, right? It's still going on. And how long is it going to go on? And it becomes an incredible distraction and and kind of the weight on your shoulders. So I think from those perspectives, yes, they probably got fortunate. And when they did go after Watson, I said at the time, it's understandable. And it was probably the right thing to do given his elite talent. And I said also qualifying that, that they must think they know pretty clearly that he's going to be cleared. Therefore, they wouldn't be going this route. At least that's the way I looked at it. But, of course, he was cleared of criminal charges. Now he's dealing with all the, the civil situations. So, yeah, at this point, it's it's got to be a major distraction for both Watson and the Cleveland Browns.
2: All right, bud. I'll be remiss if I don't get you to speak on the new hire for the Tulane baseball team. They're a proud program. They're looking to get back to that level of success that so many of us expect from them. What do you make of them promoting from within, and do you think they got the right guy?
5: Well, I mean, it's obvious they tried to hire Jake Gautreaux, and Jake was not going to come. He's at Mississippi State. He's one of the highest-paid assistant coaches in the country. And Jake said it wasn't the right time. You can read into that anything you want. Some people are reaching the conclusion that he felt like Tulane wasn't what it was and there isn't the financial commitment. And, by the way, the tuition at the school keeps going up. And when you're talking about 65000 $80,000 a year and baseball has 11.7 scholarships, you can do the math. It's not pretty. So it's not anywhere near as easy to get a good player into school for an extended period of time. It just isn't. So that comes into play. And then from the standpoint of how this looks, I think a lot of people are going to look at this and say, well, you hired a guy that was on a staff that you just fired the head coach. So what does that tell you? Well, in defense of Jay Olman, he's been a coach for 24 years. He's been part of some really good programs previously. He's been the recruiting coordinator at Tulane. You can, you can draw from that what you may. You can say that's a plus or maybe not such a plus. But there's one other factor that comes to mind here. If you identify Tulane's best players from this past season, they would be Jackson Lynn, Ethan Groff, Bennett Lee, Zach DeVito. They all have one thing in common. They've all entered the transfer portal. With the hiring of Ullman, the thought process is you have a chance to perhaps convince one, two, three, or even all four of these guys to return because they've got the guy taking over as head coach that was their interim head coach and was the guy that was responsible for helping recruit them in the first place. So I think that certainly comes to mind as well. Is it a sexy hire? No. Could it be an effective hire? Yes.
2: Ken, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your summer, my friend, and we'll be in touch, Bud.
5: Thanks, Ray. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: That's Ken Trahan, man behind Christian City Sports. He's also the director of the Saints Hall of Fame. Joining us here on RP Three and Company, we got to take a timeout. When we return, oh man, we're going to talk about the foodie poll question of the week. It was inspired by a conversation we had live on the air last week with the illustrious, the boisterous. Steve Wiley, as well as the intern extraordinaire Daryl and producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. It became our poll question of the day this week. We're going to bring them back in, have a little bit of a discussion about it. What's your go to at the ballpark? What do you go grab when you're hungry? We'll talk about that next, right here on the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.
0: RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language.
2: You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru? And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola? More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi? These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night.
1: Me fail English? That's impossible.
0: Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Your invitation is here. You don't have to wait for it to come in the mail. We're giving it to you right now. Come hang out with us. Party with us, if you will, as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday, June the 22nd. That's Wednesday, June the 22nd. There's going to be delicious wings. We're going to have amazing door prizes like Astros tickets, station swag, a round of golf, and more. In addition, you'll have appearances from your favorite 103... Seven Lafayette in 1041 Lake Charles Personalities producer Extraordinary Hannah Five Names. Hey, James you know what? Mesh. Uh oh. That's my birthday. It's Steve Wiley's birthday. June
6: twenty second is my birthday.
2: Will we will will we see you at the birthday bash?
6: Well, given the proximity to my domicile, I would have to say that's an affirmative.
2: The man just used domicile.
7: He's a of oh, words man. here. A big word, right big there. Big college
2: <laughs> words from Steve Wiley. I'm so, a college dropout, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so come hang out with us. You can learn some new words from Steve Wiley. He'll be there. It'll be his birthday. Plus, crunch time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the Buffalo Wild Wings. So come join us at B Dubs on Wednesday, June the twenty second, from five to nine for the game's tenth birthday bash. Update on the foodie poll question of the day. What is your favorite ballpark food? 38% of you say hot dog, 29% say nachos, 25% say peanuts, and 8% say soft pretzel. If I had to have my family chime in on this, daughter would be the hot dog. She doesn't put anything on it. Plain. Plain hot dog is her jam. Don't be putting mayonnaise and mustard and all that other nonsense on it. She just likes plain hot dog, grabs it, eats it, is done with it. That's her go-to.
6: Just plain and dry.
2: Plain and dry. Wow. Hattie Elise likes her hot dog. No muss, no fuss. Okay? That's how she likes it. Now, me, I like a good old-fashioned chili dog. Or back in the day, if you're you're old enough to remember Colonel Dixie, you get a Dixie dog back in the day. But the daughter likes the hot dog. Wife is probably going to be nachos is the go-to. She loves nachos. We get them at the movie theater. We get them everywhere we go. I would... I would go hot dog myself with our poll question of the day. But that's why we got Steve Wiley here giving you big words. We got the intern extraordinaire, Daryl, as well in the building in one of the big comfy chairs here in the studio. And, of course, producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, will join us now. This poll question this week was inspired by you, Steve, from last week when you went, I don't want to say a rant, but (laughs) you talked about don't buy hot dogs at the ballpark through the first four innings of a game because those are more than likely going to be left over from the night before. So that being said, you served as the inspiration for this foodie poll question of the week. I'm going to lead it off to you, bud. What's your go-to when you go to the game? What's your go-to that you have to make sure to save up money to spend on concessions?
6: And that's a tough one because I do love hot dogs, but they're a guilty pleasure. And like I say, you go early in the game, you're likely to get a leftover. And you don't know what brand. I mean, if they're selling something like like Nathan's or Hebrew National or Sabret or something like that, hey, that's top shelf. So I'm gonna have to go with the soft pretzel.
2: Ooh, soft pretzel. And I love hot dogs though. Do you get cheese to dip your soft pretzel in? Or are no. you one of those people?
6: No, no, not well, because at the ballpark you're probably gonna have a beer. Yes. And if you load up that pretzel with too much stuff, then you're not going to be able to to drink that beer without feeling like it got to be rolled out to the car.
2: See, my man's thinking. He's thinking. He's saying, hey, it's just not about the <laughs> snack. It's also about the adult beverage. In, intern extraordinaire, Daryl. You're a man of leisure. as as <laughs> well-documented around here, around the, the halls of Delta Media. The compound. It
6: shows. You can see it on his face.
2: That's right. I'm sure... There's plenty of uh tickets and memorabilia at your domicile <laughs> from all your excursions going to ballparks over the years. But what's your go-to snack when you take the the family or you just going with your friends, you going to the ballpark, what do you have to get, bud?
4: I got to get a hot dog with chili. A little bit of cheese
6: on it. That's great. Ooh. Oh, hot I dog and chili cold, and cheese. Cold beer, but I'll usually get it by on the 7th inning. I'll go a little later. Oh. So, now,
2: thing. now did you already do that or now have you changed your approach uh courtesy of the advice that steve gave last week
6: no
4: no I, my, my advice is i got my advice from him but uh my advice is to wait till the seventh inning right before the, st- the seventh inning stretch, and get your hot dog and you know nice. it's gonna be
0: fresh nice. this
2: guy ain't no rookie no nah, he's not he's, <laughs> not he's not he's not a rookie he's not a rookie all right producer extraordinaire miss sassy britches <laughs> hannah five names
7: i don't know why i think i'm just so sassy because i'm telling you what to do like i'm supposed to as i am the producer around the ship <laughs> but you know it's fine
2: yeah uh, uh, uh ironically i'm surrounded by sassy women including two right now that are in the car going to camp
7: Yeah. but continue <laughs> okay so my go-to it's gonna be number one nachos of course because peanuts make them out dry you need something to drink and i don't like beer beer tastes gross to me but Y'all y'all got that. Y'all they got have like
6: other themselves. beverages at the ballpark.
7: Yeah, but usually cokes are like you know, eight dollars. I'm like, why? There's no reason for that. So and it takes like two minutes for me to finish that. So it has to be nachos, but not just nachos with just cheese. I have to have jalapenos, so when I'm done with the chips, I can dip my jalapenos and eat it into the cheese eat by itself.
2: That's a good I, move. I,
7: it's the Mexican in me It makes for that the spice go yes.
2: There we go. There we go. So okay, five names says nachos. Daryl says chili dog, so hot dog. You say soft pretzel. I say hot dog. I know my daughter would say hot dog, and my wife would say nachos. Now, I went to a Mississippi Braves game. Love minor league baseball. Big, big baseball guy, big minor league baseball guy. So I went to a Mississippi Braves game last year, and let me tell you, let me paint the scene for you. There at one of their concession stands, they're handing out bowls that are look like baseballs and it's filled with potatoes and whatever you want to put on it. So it's like French fries and tater tots and covered in chili or cheese, and they just have all the toppings, and you just stack it up. And it was probably a few pounds. Now, the specialty stuff like that, because we know so many ballparks go with that. They have like a, uh, a quad burger or something ridiculous. Do you spend the extra money on the specialty items like that, or... Is your approach when you go to the ballpark your tried and trues? It's tried and trues, thank you.
1: Same here. I might go to the nachos right after if I'm still hungry. Possible.
7: I mean, it honestly depends on how big it is. If it's big enough to so someone fill me up like my tried and true would, then I'll do specialty items because it's a special item. But if it's a tried and true is you know, more worth it and worth it to fill me up better, I'm gonna go tried and true first.
2: You see, I go tried and true first. So I didn't experience the, po- I don't even know what they call it. It's some type of potato explosion or something like that. Loaded potato explosion, a nader, whatever. It, it, it killed my insides. It does not matter, but I always go the tried and true, right? Always get my hot dogs. Always make sure to do that. Get a couple of cold beers. Have a good time. And then I usually get nachos or a soft pretzel or something else. Now, final question. Do you, because of the price of concessions these days, we talked about this earlier on the show where it sure does feel like blue-collar middle-class folks are being pushed out to be able to go to games because it costs so much now, whether that's NFL or Major League Baseball.
6: $4.65 billion.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you, especially if you go with your family, or even if you don't, do you eat something before you get to the ballpark to reduce the amount of money that you actually spend at the ballpark? God, no. (laughs) I respect you so much more now, Steve. (laughs) The man's committed to spending money at the ballpark. (laughs) you go to the game. Go to the game. Go to the game. That means don't eat before the game. That means eat at the game. Go to the concession stand. Stand in line. Get your drinks. Get your snacks. That's what you're telling me.
6: Well, you know, for years, I was a member of the Cajun cooking club. So, uh, you know, we'd go to the UL games and, you know, got that big area there the big barbecue pits and everything so you know you you cook at the game and eat at the game and feed the guys up in the press box
2: thank you and
6: both teams after the game
2: as well thank you thank you for that daryl
4: no i'll wait till the game to eat something i don't pick anything out before i eat before
2: so so you don't you don't do the preemptive strike so to speak five names
7: Um, I would say I usually eat a little something, not a whole meal, but like a little something like some, like a pickle or two and like a little bit of chips, but like not a whole lot. So you're not eating a
2: meal. You're just snacking before you get into the state. I snack, eat a little snack
7: at the ballpark. And then I still go out to eat after that because I eat little snacks here and there.
2: Quick question. I know you're the only one that's been to an Astros game this season, correct? No one's been except for five names. What did you get at the concession stand when you and your fiance went earlier this year?
7: We actually only got a Coke. We had planned to get a beer for him later. Fail. But we didn't. We only got a Coke and went to out to eat to our, our tried and true of restaurants afterwards.
2: Steve, did you fail? <sighs>
7: <laughs> <laughs> the
2: sigh says it all. The sigh of judgment. Okay, when you go back again, because I know we're going to try to plan a, a trip for, for some of us out here at the station to go mm-hmm. to a game. You're gonna have to have concessions this time. You can't just go and share a Coke and not get anything else yeah. at a ball game. I you gotta, like, you gotta
7: get the full experience. And, five like, and like some of my Coke was like gone too because he tried to go get the fly ball that came towards us and knocked over my Coke. <laughs> so like I still missed out on like maybe a sixth of my Coke. <laughs> so so you didn't you even get, get no to enjoy ice the already coke. cold
2: she didn't even get to enjoy the coke
7: no because we also get no ice in our drinks because there's no point because it comes out, out of the machine it comes out cold so why you're gonna drink it fast enough that's not gonna get warm so I, you take it with no yeah, ice but yeah, you get more yeah, coke too yeah
2: but they put ice in there that, that, that's a trick they put ice in there so well, they, they don't st- have to give you as much
6: exactly yeah. <laughs> my son
2: always gets his without ice yes you get you get more bang for your buck that way oh thank you so much that's our foodie poll question of the week keep those votes coming on it leave your comments on facebook and twitter once again what is your favorite ballpark food right now 38 of you say hot dog 29 percent say nachos 25 percent say peanuts and 8 percent say soft pretzel thanks to mr steve wiley to the intern extraordinaire daryl and of course the producer extraordinaire hannah five names for joining us here to talk about the foodie poll question of the week we got to take a time out when we come back here on rp3 and company wes reynolds from Vizen, the Sports Betting Network, you hear their programming on our weekend slate here on the game, is going to join us, talk about some bets for tonight's Game 3 of the NBA Finals and the entire series that's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 8th, 1996, LSU's Warren Morris hits the game-winning home run off of Miami's Robbie Morrison. The home run is the only walk-off championship-winning homer in college World Series history. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station
2: welcome back to rp3 and company on this hump day edition of the show don't forget to go vote on our foodie poll question of the week it's inspired some spirit to debate get those comments in on facebook and twitter before we wrap up show today just in about less than a half an hour from right now we've had a good show so far but we're about to end it on a strong note as we welcome on someone to make their RP3 and company debut. He is the host of Long Shots Golf Betting Podcast. He's also a member of VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network, the first 24-7 broadcast network dedicated exclusively to sports betting. You can hear a plethora of their shows on our weekend slate here on the game. It's our privilege to welcome to the show Mr. Wes Reynolds. Wes, good morning to you, bud. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you? Glad to be with you. Appreciate you making the time, man. Appreciate you making the time. Let's get right to it. NBA Finals. Look, these NBA playoffs have been, let's be honest, a bit of a dud. Lots of lopsided uh, decisions in these playoffs. I know we had that great back-to-back seven-game series involving the Celtics, but uh, even a lot of those games were one-sided affairs. From a sports betting point of view, how cautious do you need to be when laying down bets concerning the NBA Finals?
3: Yeah, and and you're right. These playoffs, I think, have been erratic. We haven't gotten those great moments, those great buzzer beaters and whatnot. The real competitive games, at least down the stretch, have been few and far between. And certainly by the margin of victory, these games, these first two games in the NBA Finals have not been competitive. Although I thought game one was actually a good game, the fact that it just turned on a dime and... Boston seemingly threw everything in that they attempted in the fourth quarter. And I think a lot of that, too, was that Steve Kerr, quite frankly, made some mistakes in terms of who he played. He played Andre Iguadala in his first game back from injury a lot in the fourth quarter. And then before game two, you conveniently saw him backlisted on the injury report because he realized, okay, I can't go with this guy because the Celtics were exploiting matchups. And we know Jordan Poole's had a real struggle in terms of defending. So. You know, I, I'm not going to necessarily say caution, but keep in mind when you're looking at these numbers, take everything into context. And what I mean by that is looking at the adjustments, because if you go back to game one when this finals matchup between Golden State and Boston was set, I think the total was like two ten and a half. That was the opener. And then it got bet up to about two fourteen 214 a half. It goes over the total. Both teams made a ton of threes. Boston, I think, made 21 threes in game one. So then you get a little tax. You get a little adjustment going into game two. And then it went to half, 216. That was probably a little bit too high because that's five, five-and-a-half points difference than game one. And we just basically had only one game for a sample size. So that's when I came back on the under. So now you see going into game three on Wednesday night, 212, 212 and a half, you know, they're kind of splitting the difference between on the total. And I think that's about the right move because that's what they're going to do. Because one of the things that you see is that betters like to bet what they see last. So oftentimes they will come back on the team that won and or covered the game before you saw that in game two, a little bit with Boston getting plenty of respect in the market. And then golden State got the late money kind of on that zigzag theory where, You know, you played the team that lost or didn't cover the previous game. But, yeah, you're going to see adjustments. But these numbers right now, because you only have two teams, they're going to be pretty static. I mean, it's not going to be like, oh, that number's way off, you know, like a random game on a December weeknight where it's like, oh, they're way off on the number. The numbers are right here. It just depends on how it plays out.
2: Have the outcome of the first two games in this NBA Finals changed your perception on how you're betting who to win this series?
3: You know, not particularly. I still kind of lean to Golden State in the series just because of the experience, I believe. Going into the finals, you had a Golden State team that had 123 combined games of NBA finals experience. And a large part of that number, of course, is Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. And then you had a Boston Celtics team with zero games of finals experience. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the 97 NBA Finals where you had the Chicago Bulls in the midst of their dynasty with Michael and Scotty and company. And then you had the Utah Jazz, which was Malone and Stockton. But that Jazz team had played together for about four or five years and finally reached the Finals. With this Boston team, you've got young guys having to contribute like like Derek White, like Grant Williams. And then even though Brown and Tatum have been together as a duo for a few years, This is their first time on the biggest stage in the league. So that's why I lean Golden State. However, what you've seen, I think, even in the first two games, is that Boston can match up in certain areas with Golden State. They have guys that can shoot the three and they can spread it out all over the floor. Golden State is going to continue to commit to stopping Tatum on drives to the basket. So that means when you're doing that and you're doubling him and basically surrounding him in the paint as he's trying to go to the rim, that's going to leave guys open for three. So it kind of seems like Steve Kerr and Golden State are saying, okay, we're going to let Al Horford and Derek White and all these guys shoot threes, and if they go in, they beat us. But we're not going to let Jason Tatum necessarily beat us. We're going to make him work hard for what he gets. So I still lean Golden State here, at least for the series, but I think that this is going to go back and forth, and I think this is going to end up going seven.
2: Who's your betting favorite for the NBA Finals MVP that's not named Steph Curry?
3: <laughs> now you took away my option because, uh, you know, that would be, I think, the logical selection. But obviously you want to correlate it to who you think is going to win. So if, I, if I'm going down the board, I mean, Jason Tatum, you're not getting a lot of great value there. He still hasn't had that great game yet. So, look, if, if I was looking, maybe somebody in the mid-range, I don't think you can go – too far down the board where you can really get a total long shot. But, you know, a middle price guy that might be worth it, you know, if you like Boston, could be somebody like Marcus Smart, who's obviously their best defender really across the board. He's a guy that can hit threes, and he's just like that irritant. He's almost like Boston's Draymond Green, maybe not to that level of irritant, but he is, you know, a guy that gets in guys' heads and, gets them all discombobulated, forces turnovers. He's constantly on you. He's a guy that can obviously do the little things, take charges, get rebounds, a very good passer, a guy that can hit threes, and obviously, like I was saying, they're best defenders. So Marcus Smart would be my guy down the board if I'm going with a Boston player. I think if you're going with a Golden State player, I would still look at Andrew Wiggins, and I still don't think that they use Andrew Wiggins enough. They kind of stand him out there on the wing in the corner, and I know why they do that, because when Boston is going to switch on that pick and roll, they need somebody in the corner open for corner threes, and then the way to beat the Celtics defense or back cut, so they want Andrew Wiggins cutting on the baseline, but Seth just gets such a high volume of shots, and so does Clay Thompson, and that would probably be not a good idea for Golden State going forward because Clay Thompson just has not been very good in these playoffs. So hopefully, if you're an Andrew Wiggins backer and you have a ticket on him for MVP, Steve Kerr and company says, okay, we need to use this guy more because this guy is absolutely the X factor for us because he can replace the offense that maybe Clay and Draymond don't give you anymore.
2: We're talking with Wes Reynolds. He works for Visa, and he's co-host of the Green Zone and Long Shots. He joins us here. Let's switch over from the NBA Finals, and let's switch over to the Stanley Cup. We're still waiting to figure out who's going to join the Colorado Avalanche playing for Lord Stanley's Trophy. Right now as it stands, betting favorite, is it Colorado for already getting there, or are we still going to look at maybe someone out of the East?
3: I still think Colorado is the favorite just because – they're already there. So that the market is going to indicate that. So they're probably going to, I, I haven't checked this morning, but they're going to be a minus price to win this thing because Colorado actually might be waiting a while because this Eastern Conference series, this may go six to seven games. I mean, you got to think if you like Tampa Bay, being that they're down two to one, it's at least going six. So I, I, I just think that, you know, now we finally have a real series because I was concerned in the first two games for Tampa Bay when they lost in the garden to the Rangers, because they looked like they were a little bit of a step slow. I felt And the Rangers are a younger team, less experienced, but younger. And it just felt like the Rangers were more physical. They were quicker to the puck. They were more aggressive. They were keeping these guys on the ice for longer shifts where they couldn't get off the ice. But then, Tampa Bay in the third period finally I think remembered that they were the Tampa Bay Lightning and that they're the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions because they were the aggressors. They were the ones that were pushing the pace and getting the Rangers, I think, on their heels. Because I think maybe what you see a little bit in this series, when you play these long playoff runs like Tampa Bay has done, you get a little bit, you know, you get some miles on the engine, so to speak. And and sometimes that can wear you down, and it's like, eventually you kind of run into a physical wall and maybe that's what was happening with Tampa Bay, but getting that game three win, I think at least has to give them some confidence because you look at the Rangers, they easily could have been out in the first round because I don't think they were the better team than the Penguins in the first round, but they got some fortunate breaks. Penguins had to go to their third goaltender, Luis Domingue and then Sidney Crosby missed game six in an elimination game with a concussion protocol. So, the Rangers got some breaks and they won game seven and look credit to them for going to Carolina and winning game seven because nobody had been able to beat Carolina at home certainly in the playoffs until the Rangers did it but I do think that this is probably at least going to go six or seven so you're going to have Colorado kind of in the similar situation that they were after the first round after they had pulled the sweep then they had to wait to play St. Louis maybe a little rust early in the series and then they pick it up but I do think Colorado clearly is the favorite going into the cup.
2: Wes. Appreciate your time, brother. I got to end it there. Tell the people quickly how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to get all your great content.
3: Yeah. You can follow me at West Reynolds, one West Reynolds and the number one at the end on Twitter. And then, uh, also go to at live on Twitter for all of our content. We've got video clips on the networks, links to all of our stories on the website, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, Glad to be on and uh, talk with you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again.
2: Wes, appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much.
3: You got it. Thank you.
2: That's w- Wes Reynolds from VS and co-host of the Green Zone and Long Shots breaking down the NBA finals, touching on a little Stanley Cup finals as well. Appreciate his insight there. We gotta take our final timeout of today's program. When we come back, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes on this hump day edition of RP3 and company. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guests for making this edition of RP3 and Company, hump day edition, the best. Ron Higgins from Tiger Details, award-winning columnist, talking all things LSU. Ken Trahan from CrescentCitySports.com and the Saints Hall of Fame, talking all things black and gold. And of course, Wes Reynolds, our new friend from Vizen, giving us sports bets for tonight's Game 3 of the NBA Finals and more. Foodie poll question of the week, which, of course, is our poll question of the day every Wednesday here on RP3 and Company. We asked you, what is your favorite ballpark food? 41% of you come in with hot dog. 27% say nachos. 24% of you say peanuts. 8% say soft pretzel. Thank you to all who voted and all of you who commented on the poll question of the day. Dat Cajun came in with a late comment. Hot dog is classic ballpark food, but if you are in Delcom, that chili on the nacho just hits different. Woo! I do enjoy my time I've spent in Delcom when I used to work in New Iberia. So chili on the nacho just hits different. Derek B. simply shared a gif of a dog. With a hot dog in its mouth. I'm here for efficient gifts. All day long. Thanks for all who voted and commented on the poll question of the day. That's going to do it for today's show. For Steve Wiley. The intern extraordinaire, Daryl. The producer extraordinaire, Hannah. Five names. I'm Raymond Pars, the third better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow. We'll try to be better. Six to nine. But until then... Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.